All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on such a great salvation and a subheading here on healing. And so, uh, without further ado, just uh, so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all of our partners who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, it's something to go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to our gift page in the top right corner. It's uh, highlighted in blue. And then uh, if you'd rather send us a check, you can make it a check payable to um, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the foot of every page, we have our mailing address. And if you're in the United States, just so you know, all of our, your tax donations and contributions are 100% tax deductible as we are a 501c3 church. Well, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and jump right to the message this morning. We're talking about such a great salvation, and, and more particularly, we're talking about healing this morning, and I'll explain that again. Um, we've been in the season, I'm sorry we missed last week, we uh, were in the season of moving, and we've been moved, and we're in a new location, so I don't know if you can tell, hopefully uh, we have a different backdrop yet, because we are in a different house. And so, um, but because of all the, uh, all the, uh, excitement with the move and whatnot. I have not really had a chance to prepare the next message, so I didn't finish last week, so I'm going to be doing a, re a, a recap of this week's message. I mean, last week's message, or exactly two weeks ago. Our message from two weeks ago. So, excuse me for rambling there. And then uh, we're going to be, uh, uh, and then I'm hoping we'll, we'll, we'll finish this segment of, of healing. And then we'll go to new, some new territory on healing next week. <coughs> so without further ado, let me just do a recap here. We've been talking about such a great salvation. We, about 16 weeks ago, we talked about the, that we pretty much define what salvation is. It's a gift of salvation. It's not something you can earn. We talked about how it's grace through faith. Through faith. And we talked about many components of what, the, uh, what uh, 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 salvation is. We defined it in the Hebrew and the Greek, and they both mean the same, Yeshua in the Hebrew, and, and uh, Soteria in the, in the Greek, and they both mean wholeness, they both mean uh, deliverance, they both mean healing, and they both mean prosperity. And, and so, we, and then we talked about the purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation is not going to heaven and avoiding hell, those are the benefits of salvation. The purpose of salvation is a relationship with God. Even if there was not a heaven, and there was not a hell, and there are, Jesus still would have died on the cross for us because he wanted us to have a relationship with him. He wanted us to have a relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Then we spent a couple weeks talking about the necessity of salvation. We're still kind of talking along those terms as we have been talking about the benefits of salvation. And uh, there's many benefits of our salvation that we can, we can talk about and we have talked about and we will continue to talk about. But we've been zeroing in in the last several weeks on the benefits of salvation in regards to healing. I mean, first of all, regarding the wholeness. We spent several weeks on that, about five weeks or so on that, and then we've been talking about healing. And I still have several more weeks to go on this subject of healing. So this subject of healing, <coughs> excuse me again, is kind of a sub-series within the series of talking about salvation. Because it's the definition of salvation. It's what salvation is. Salvation is not just about healing, but it includes healing. Salvation doesn't just include wholeness, 
But, it, I mean, it's not just about wholeness. It includes wholeness. It's by the definition. And the same thing with prosperity. I'll be spending several weeks on prosperity as well. Which is, this is, I know, a sore subject with many, pe we, many religious people because they don't understand prosperity. There's been abuses on, on, on misteaching of prosperity, but there's also been abuses on you know, not teaching at all and teaching against it. And so uh, we're going to clear that up in a few weeks. But when, so we're talking about, the, again, the benefits of salvation, still in our series on salvation, such a great salvation, and we are still in our sub-series here talking about healing. We started off with 3 John, verses 2 to 4, where John says, Excuse me, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly with the brethren and came, testified the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. John prayed, and John wanted above all things that we would be in good health, and that we would we would prosper as our soul prospers. He, he, excuse me again. He went on to say that I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in the truth. As a pastor, as a teacher, I have no greater joy than to see that you know the truth. I want you to know the truth. That's why I teach. That's why we do what we do. That you would know the truth. And that truth that you know would have effect in your life. Because John went on to say in his, uh, his gospel letter, he said, Then Jesus said to those who believe in him, If ye continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I want the truth, and I want freedom. Okay? And if we continue in everything but the word of God, we will be deceived, okay, and believe lies, believe untruths, believe things that are not true about the word of God, about the things of God, about our salvation. The truth will set us free, but deception and lies will ensnare us. They'll keep us in bondage, and they'll keep us sick, and, 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 and as we related to the subject of healing. We need to know what God has said about healing versus what man has said. And we need to know what God, the Word of God says regarding healing versus our experience regarding healing. Okay? Because we all have experienced things that don't line up with the Word of God. And many subjects that we could be talking about, we have all experienced that don't line up with the Word of God. Okay? But we're talking about healing, and the subject of healing, and, and sickness, and disease, and whatnot. Many of us have experienced things, or seen things, have witnessed things, have heard things that do not line up with the Word of God. And because that's true, many of us question what the Word of God says because of life experiences. In other words, many of us exalt life experiences over the Word of God, and that is backwards. Okay? So many times we question the Word of God because of life experiences instead of questioning our life experiences based on the Word of God. Okay? And because that's true, many of us will abort what the Word of God says because we trump the life experiences over the Word of God. We'll abort the Word of God and exalt our experiences instead of resisting our, what we're experiencing based on the Word of God. Okay? If you're what you're experiencing regarding health and wholeness it does not line up with the Word of God, guess what needs to change? You, your life, your body, your, your immune system, whatever, the, whatever is broken, whatever is not working, whatever is infected, okay? The Word of God will not change, but your body, your circumstance, your situation, your illness, your, your, your health can change. 
And let me say this again, I'll keep saying this over and over. I do not have all the answers. But I do know it's always God's will to heal. Okay? We, we spent a few weeks talking about from verse John 5, 14 to 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Confidence is faith. And many of us don't have confidence in healing because we don't have faith in healing. We don't believe, we, we're questioning we, whether, whether it's the will of God or not because of life experiences or because of what we've been taught. Our confidence comes from asking according to the will of God. So we need to know the will of God on many subjects, but specifically healing. Everything starts with us knowing the will of God. Okay, no matter what we have seen or what we have experienced, our faith begins and ends. <coughs> Excuse me. Our faith begins and ends where the will of God is known. You can't have faith beyond knowing what the Word of God says. You can't have faith beyond knowing what the will of God is. If what you what you perceive and understand as the will or word of God, that's as that's as far as your faith will go. If you do not believe or you question or you doubt or you have questions regarding healing then your faith will only go as far as what you believe the Word of God is. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth can't set you free if you don't know it. Okay? It has the capacity to set you free, but it, you block it through the unbelief of not knowing the Word of God. God's Word is His will. Okay? So how do we know it's God's will to heal? We began talking last week, we were talking about five different subjects about how do we know it's God's will. The first one we talked about is the witness of the apostles and disciples. And we looked at three apostles and their witness in the healing of scriptures. I know your mama might have said some things. I know Pastor Joe might have said some things. I know that your uncle might have said some things. Or other people might have said some things. But they don't have scripture. They don't have books in the Bible that they wrote. Okay, and I'm not no discount, no disrespect to any of your family members or any of your loved ones or friends or people that you you esteem, but I'm going to go with what the apostles said because they have books in the Bible. Okay, and we looked at Peter, James, and John. We looked at the scriptures in Acts, James, and and, and third John, and, and the other scriptures that we looked at regarding what the apostles said regarding healing. So how do we know it's God's will to heal? Well. We, we, we know because Jesus taught us to minister to the sick. We look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. In this manner, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to approach God, we talked about, on the basis of sonship. We need to approach God on the basis that he is our Father. And we are his child. We are call him Father. Yes, we, have, we, t we talked a lot about the name of Jesus, but God, we call him Father. Okay? And when I call on the name of the Lord, Jesus, our Father, I'm praying according to his holiness, not mine. I'm praying according to his will and his nature, not mine. Okay, the kingdom of God is here. We're supposed to pray his kingdom come, his will be done on earth, but the kingdom of God is within us. We have the keys of the kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom of God is not here and there. The kingdom of God is within us. And the kingdom of God is here. When Jesus sent out the 70, when Jesus sent out the 12, he said, go preach and proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom of God is among us. 
but there are many kingdoms on this earth that are warring against the kingdom of God. Okay? And we're supposed to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how I know that it's God's will to heal everybody everywhere. Because there's no sickness in heaven. Okay? And most people believe that there's no sickness in heaven. Most people don't, 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 don't challenge me on that. But then why do we struggle praying God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven regarding sickness? If we, if we already believe there's no sickness in heaven, and we already believe we're supposed to pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, why do we struggle with doing what exactly Jesus told us to do? Okay? We looked at Mark 16, and many scriptures we could have looked, looked at regarding this. And these signs will follow those who believe. It doesn't follow the apostles. It follows those who believe. If you're a believer, we are, we're called believers because we believe. And if you believe, these things will, fo will follow. He talks about many things that will follow those who believe. And then he says they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Okay? He goes on to say, verse 19 and 20, For that after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven <coughs> and sat down at the right hand of God. He's talking about his ascension here that we also see in Acts chapter 1. And in verse 20 he says, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word of God through company signs and wonders. Amen. We, we, we talked about this last two weeks ago, but God wants to confirm his word with the supernatural. God wants to confirm his word today in this generation. Okay? Because this generation does not believe that the scriptures are the word of God. This scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. This generation is having a hard time believing that the Word of God, is, the Scriptures are the Word of God. Okay? We live in a culture, in a society, in many parts of the planet, that need a, super, a fresh manifestation of the supernatural. They look at the movies, look at the, what's going on in, in, in social media today. People are looking for the supernatural. Even if they're looking for it in the wrong wrong way. They're looking. We this culture is crying out for the supernatural. Okay? And we live in a culture that needs a living, tangible manifestation of God in their life. God's alive. He's not dead. He's not just word on the page. He's not just in your, your the church building. The kingdom of God is here. Okay? And the, the prophet spoke of the Messiah and the signs and wonders that would follow the Messiah. Okay? And healing and miracles affirm many things, but one of the things they did affirm that Jesus is the Son of God. That's not the only thing they affirm, and that's not the only thing they affirm Jesus is the Son of God. Because there's many teachings and, and, and groups out there who think, who have, who have misconstrued some of this. And so I want to make that clear. But healing and miracles did confirm Jesus is the Son of God. There are many other things that, that affirm that as well. And we need Jesus manifested as Lord today. We need Jesus affirmed today as Lord and as King and as God. Buddha can't he hear you, okay? Muhammad can't hear you. Allah can't hear you. Saint so-and-so can't hear you, okay? Jesus alone is Lord, and Jesus is Lord of all. And Jesus wants to confirm his written word and his spoken word and the living word, Jesus Christ, in the supernatural, in the supernatural visions of the living God. So how do we know it's God's will to heal? We know it because of the apostles and disciples. We know it because Jesus taught us how to pray this way. But we also know, and we talked about this two weeks ago too, that you're God's temple. You're God's house. 
And most of us have been taught we are the temple of God. We're the house of God. So most people don't struggle. <coughs> Excuse me. Most people don't struggle when I say this. And most of us understand that God dwells within us. Even Jesus, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. We don't struggle with those things. So why do we struggle? Why would God not want to repair his own temple? Why would God not want to repair his own house? We are the temple of God. And if we would think that God would want, if we see a physical temple, like a physical church or building, we, we would think that God would want to repair that. Well, God has made a temple not made with hands. We are the tabernacle of God. We are the house of God. And I can give you many scriptures on that. Most of you will not contest me on that. Well, why would God not want to repair his own home? Okay? <coughs> Excuse me again. First Corinthians 3, Paul talks about how do you not know that your temple is a whole uh, of the Spirit of God? And the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Okay? We can go in many directions with this, talking about immorality, which is the context what Paul is talking about here. But if God says he will destroy those who defile his temple, why wouldn't he want to repair his own temple? If he says he, if God, if God is, is so protective of his temple, why would he not want to repair it? Okay? If God's temple, which we are, is so holy, why would God not want to repair his own holy temple? Okay? If God hates anything that is destroying his temple, it is not cancer, sickness, disease, destroying your body, which are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then, then we, we should also hate anything that destroys God's temple. We should hate sin, and we should hate sickness. Okay? God hates sickness. God hates anything that destroys his temple. We should hate sickness, okay? He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6 that you now know that your bodies are members of Christ, okay? We need to know, and we need to be refreshed in knowing that our bodies are the members of Christ himself. Somehow in the translation, we, we don't realize that we are the body of Christ. That's not just a cliche. That is not just Christianese language. We are, spiritually, in all reality, we are the members, the bodies of Christ. Why would God not want to, why would Jesus, God, not want to heal his own body? Okay? And how many of us believe that we are members of Christ? We need to believe our bodies are the members of Christ. And if we believe that, how can we think God is making any of his own members of his own body sick? Why would we teach? Why would we believe that God is making his own body sick? That is ludicrous. Okay? That is, that is ignorance gone to see. He goes on to say how you are not your own, but in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You are, I could go on off on this, and I went off on it a little bit two weeks ago, but I'm not going to do that this morning. Your body does not belong to you, okay? I'm not about, I'm all for women, I'm all for babies, I'm all for men. But you, man, woman, child, however, your bodies are not your own. They are belong to God. Your body belongs to God no matter what gender you are, and there are only two, male and female, 
Okay? God came to save you. You not just your spirit, but your body. Your body is holy. Your body belongs to God. Your body has been bought. It hasn't been redeemed yet. We've spent a lot of time talking about that in previous weeks. Your body will be redeemed when Jesus returns. So how do we know it's God's will to heal? So far we covered the witness of the apostles and disciples. We talked that Jesus taught us to minister to the sick. And we are God's temple and we God's house. The fourth thing that we talked about two weeks ago, and we talked about how Jesus died for my sins and sicknesses on the cross. Now here I'm going to slow down again, and I went over this a lot of this uh, two weeks ago, but I'm going to go over this again as well as we go to some new territory this morning. Healing is part of the atonement. Okay? Healing is part of what Jesus did for us and paid for us through the cross. Okay? Just like he paid for all of our sins, Jesus paid for our sickness. He redeemed us from the curse. And Galatians 3.13 says that he has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And sickness is part of the curse of the law. And Deuteronomy 28 says, If you do not obey God's commands, all of these sicknesses will come upon you. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse. We are not cursed. We are blessed in the New, in the new Covenant. One of our key verses that we're going to keep coming back to you is that in Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 1, he says, Who, will, who has believed our report? In other words, whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to believe our negative words? Are you going to believe your doctor's report? Are you going to believe your bank account's report? Are you going to believe your own report? Are you going to believe some religious or another preacher's report? Or are you going to believe God's? I'm not against any of these things in and of themselves, except for the negative words. <laughs> negative words, I am against that, you know, every which way. Okay. But I'm not against doctors. I'm not against bank accounts. I'm not against even your own or even other preachers' reports, as long as they don't come conflict with God's. But if they don't agree with God, sorry, I'm going with God. Because if you or any of these people don't line up with what God says, they're a liar, according to the Word of God. No disrespect is intended, but let God be true and every man a liar. I'm going with God. And I, I don't care if I'm the only one standing on this. I'm going to believe God. Okay? I'm going to want to believe God's report. I'm not saying that the doctor necessarily lied. I think your lab comes back and says you have cancer or some disease or COVID. I'm just saying that that, that that cancer, that COVID, has to bow in the name of Jesus. And it has to go. I'm not saying they are malicious or lying and revolting against God. Like, or your bank account uh, showing too many... Uh, too, too much in the red or too little. I'm just saying it must bow to the cross of Christ. It must bow to the name of Jesus. Okay, we're gonna we'll get into that a lot more deeper later. Okay, but so who has believed our report? He goes on to talk about uh, how, what Jesus would look like because the Messiah would look like just one of us. I'm going through this a little faster than I did two weeks ago. Okay, but I will slow down in just a minute. He says how he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We, and we hid, we hid, he didn't hide, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he was, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him. <coughs> Excuse me. 
We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. I spelled that wrong again. And chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So whose report are we going to believe? We talked about this last week, or two weeks ago, how even this verse, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, talks about our spirit, soul, and body. I'm not going to go into all that detail this week, how he was wounded for our, our transgressions, talked about our spirits. He was chastised for our peace, which is our soul, and by his stripes we are healed, and that's talking about our bodies. My point I'm trying to make again this morning is that God came to save us spirit, soul, and body. That goes with our teaching on wholeness that we had several weeks ago. Salvation begins in our born-again spirits, but God didn't just come to save our spirits. God came to save all of us, our spirit, our soul, and our body. God loves you. God loves all of me. God loves all of you. And God loves our, our whole being. God never intended for us to die and leave our bodies. When, you, when your spirit and your soul leave your body, you're a dead man. Okay? God never intended for that. Okay? God never created death. Okay? He only created life. Okay? He never created darkness. He only created light. But it says in Romans, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. Where did death come from? Sin. Where did sin come from, Adam? Adam brought sin and death into the world. And death spread to all men because all have sinned. Death came from sin. And Christ, he who knew no sin, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 So yes, there, <clears throat> there is a redemptive plan. Excuse me. There is a redemptive plan through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But you do not need to think God came to save part of you. No, God came to save all of you, your spirit, your soul, and your body. God's will is to save you, spirit, soul, and body. Okay? So surely he was born on Greece and carried on sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten and afflicted. And he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. <clears throat> I spent some time on this last week, but many people have interpreted verses 4 and 5, as many Christian groups teach, that Isaiah is only talking about spiritual healing and not physical healing. And we went to Matthew 8, 1 through 17, and we looked at several scriptures between verses 1 to 17, where Jesus healed people of leprosy, palsy, fever, and many other sick people. The context is talking about physical healing. And he makes a statement, verse 17, Matthew does, quoting Jesus, that he might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Jesus and Matthew are quoting Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, in the context of physical healing. And we looked at, we looked at all the, the, the things where, so wherever Isaiah was said in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, Matthew said in verse 17, whatever Jesus did in verses 1 through 16, the context was a fulfillment of whatever Isaiah said. In other words, Matthew said that whatever Jesus did is a fulfillment of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Okay? And we looked at, again, these, these 16, 17 verses, uh, and the whole context is about physical healing. We saw how with leprosy, many will argue, that leprosy is a result of a type of sin. 
But to the leper, it was physical. The leper did not ask to be healed spiritually. He asked to be healed of leprosy. So I asked these questions. I'm not going to read the whole context again this week. But is leprosy physical or spiritual? And some will argue, as I just said. Okay, let me go on. Is, is, is it policy of being paralyzed physical or spiritual? Is having a fever physical or spiritual? The whole context of verses 1 to 16 is all physical. I'm not saying there are not some spiritual things going on in all of that, but but the context is, is that, and he goes on to say verse 16, when the evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. Okay, I can, I can go with the spiritual with that. And he cast out the spirits within the word, with the word and healed all who were sick. Not just mental sickness, okay, which some people might claim to that, and connect that to the spiritual. But the whole context is about physical healing. And then Matthew quotes Jesus and says that it might be fulfilled in which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Matthew and Jesus interpreted Isaiah 53, 4, and 5 as sense of physical healing. Okay? Jesus came to save us. He, he saved us from our sins. Jesus came to heal our bodies. By his stripes, we were healed. This is good news. The good news is the gospel. And we spent some time in Isaiah, I mean Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, where it says, Bless the Lord of my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord of my soul, and forget all of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. mercies. It goes on and on, and we can we can spend a lot more time with this. You know, cancer, because he says, even see, so let me slow down for a minute. Slow down, dude. He forgives all of our iniquities. That's sin. He heals all of our diseases. That's sick. That's healing. And he redeems our life from destruction. Cancer and all kinds of diseases are trying to destroy our lives. And the same cross that Jesus paid for all the punishment of our sins, including sickness. Okay. Jesus came, on the same cross, Jesus bore our curse. He bore God's wrath on the cross. And he also bore our sicknesses. And he bore our diseases. God willed to save everybody, everywhere, every time. God's will is to heal everybody, everywhere, every time. We looked at Romans. It says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This word saved in the, in the, in the Greek means wholeness. It means deliverance. It means wholeness. It means prosperity in the Greek. We look at Peter's version of this. We'll be looking at this some more later. But he who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live unto righteousness. That's talking about spiritual matters. That's talking about sin. Then he goes on, but like, who stripes you? And Peter changes the context. He says, you were healed. Okay. When, how can you be healed when you're sick now? Because Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago. Jesus died, but he's not going to die again. He already paid the penalty. He already paid the payment for your sins and for your healing. So how do I know it's God's will to heal? We've covered four things so far. The witness of the apostles and disciples that Jesus taught us to minister to the sick. 
you are God's temple, yes, that's how, and Jesus died for my sins and sicknesses on the cross. And then we began to go into, we didn't finish, but we talked about how God loves us. And so the remainder of the time that I have left, I'm hoping I, I can finish this up, but we're going to be talking about how God loves us. And God's love for us is proof that I know it's God's will to heal. You know, I said this last two weeks ago, many things I've heard through the years paint a cold and evil picture of God. When people teach that God is making people sick, when people teach that God is not willing to heal everybody, that is a cold and evil picture of God. Okay? I'm going to show you many scriptures. I just shared them two weeks ago. But when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed the sick. You're going to find many scriptures in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus was moved with compassion, and he healed all the sick. You can find 17 scriptures in the, in the gospel letters where Jesus healed all who were sick. And how did he do that? Why did he do that? Because he had compassion. We've already taught in many weeks, on many, on many levels, that Jesus didn't do anything that he didn't see the Father do. He didn't say anything he didn't hear the Father say. If Jesus was moved with compassion, the Father was moved with compassion. Jesus told his own disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It says in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus is an express image of the Father. And so anything Jesus said, anything Jesus did is because is a, is a, is a, is a mirror, is a duplicate, is a, in one sense a clone of what the Father did. Okay, If Jesus was moved with compassion to heal the sick, the Father was moved with compassion to heal the sick. Okay? Never, never, you don't find one scripture where Jesus was moved with compassion to give them leprosy or blindness to teach them something. You never find that. Every time there was someone sick, Jesus had, was moved with compassion. What does it mean being moved with compassion? I shared last week or two weeks ago how you've ever had a bowel movement. There's a scripture where it talks about being with a bowels of compassion. I'm not trying to be crude and gross with that. But have you ever been in, a, in a, a time in your life where you've got to find a bathroom and you've got to find one now? You are moved to find a bathroom. I don't care what's going on. I don't care if they're serving your favorite food. I don't care if your favorite show's on. I don't care if, if you just won the jackpot. And you, whatever, whatever the case might be. But if you, gotta, if you have that, those bowels being moved, you are moved to find a bathroom and you're moved to find one now. Okay? All life will stop. It doesn't. Nothing else matters. Because you got to find the bathroom. You got to find the now. And Jesus was moved. He he had to do something about it. He was moved with compassion. Okay. It wasn't just uh, <coughs> a passing thought. It wasn't just some good Christianese. He was moved with compassion to heal them. Okay. I know God's will to heal because His love for you is so overwhelming. It's so unconditional. It's unmeasurable. Every time I pray for someone, I sense the compassion of God too. I know many of you, when you pray, and I, hear, I see many prayer requests and prayers on Facebook, you're moved to do that. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear people's prayer requests, there's something that, that moves me to do something about it. 
And we can do something about it through the finished work of the cross. We can do something about it because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus lives in us and through us. God's love for you is real. His compassion for you is real. We never have to question His love for us. We never have to question His desire to bless us and His desire to heal us. When God's truth is known, it sets people free. We're talking about how do we know that God's will to heal us because He loves us. Okay? Every time I pray for someone, I sense that compassion of God. Jesus only did what He saw the Father do. I'm being repetitive here. The scriptures teach us that Jesus was moved with compassion. We, we remember that already. That compassion of Jesus, that he was moved, led him to action. And when we experience the compassion of God on people, it will move us to action, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. God loves us. And out of that love comes his mercy, comes his kindness, comes his compassion on people. God's love for you will change you. I talked two weeks ago about how I believe in the principles, the laws of the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm not talking about the Mosaic Law. I'm talking about I believe in the laws of the kingdom of God. If there's a kingdom, there's going to be laws. And there's laws of God's kingdom. We have the royal law of love. We have the law of faith. We have the law of liberty. And then there's many other laws that, that are part of the kingdom of God. Re reaping and uh, sowing and reaping. Okay? There's many laws of God. There's many principles of God's kingdom. Okay? And I believe in these. I teach on these regularly. But if we remove the person of God from the principles, there is no life. If we remove the presence of God from the principles, there's no life. The person and the presence of God is a brings. It brings everything to life. I mentioned two weeks ago, I believe, that I was listening to a message recently from Catherine Coleman. It was she was talking about how to receive a miracle. And she went on and on about the presence of God. She went on and on about the, the number one thing. She There's a lot of stuff that people do in the name of healing, whatever, that she, she, uh, she loathes. And she hates it. She speaks against it. Many people do today. In, Christian, in many Christian religious Pentecostal circles. That she just loathes that. But one thing she focused on the most what is it being in God's presence. The presence of His Spirit. Because that's where faith comes. That's where God is. Okay? And so we, we, we spent some weeks last week start talking from Rome, uh, two weeks ago from Rome, talking from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through I think 7. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith, grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'm going to fast forward to verse 5. Now, uh, actually, let's, let's read this. Sorry, i got to get all this in here. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. I had to read all that to get to this word, hope. Okay? Now, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is always hope, no matter what the situation is. I don't care what the doctor has said. I don't care what the disease is. I don't care how bad COVID gets. There is always hope through the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
Why is there hope? Because the love of God has been shed apart upon us by the Holy Spirit. We know the love of God by the Spirit of God. That's how we know love. We, we don't know the love of God by the principles, rules, and regulations. We don't know the hope of God. We don't know, uh, we don't even know God by those things. The Holy Spirit reveals God's love to us by the Holy Spirit. He, he's the one that reveals it to us. We don't know love without the Holy Spirit. But the, the Holy Spirit is the one who shed abroad. He reveals God's love to us. It's shed abroad to us by the Holy Spirit. That's my next slide. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals God to us. God is love. Okay? Love is of God. And the Holy Spirit is a person. Okay? And God sent the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to minister to us. You need comfort? You need, you need some ministry? The Holy Spirit is here. He's with us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's always here. He's been poured about. He's been poured out on all flesh. Not just some flesh. Not just the godly. The Holy Spirit has been poured about on Pour out on all flesh. Quoting, Peter quoted uh, Joel chapter 2. Has all flesh received him? No. But he's poured out. He's there. Okay? And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It went on to say, verse 6, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus came to die for the ungodly. I know that sounds bizarre, but Jesus came to die for, the, die for the ungodly. Because if he didn't, there would be no one to die for. The only kind of people that was before Jesus is, un, is ungodly. Without Jesus, there's only two kinds of people, godly and ungodly. And the only way that you can become godly is receive Jesus. Okay? Forsake, scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. But God did demonstrate his own love for us towards us while we were still sinners. Some people think that God can't heal you, God doesn't love you because of what you've done wrong. You were still a sinner, he died for you. How much more will he not give us all things? Romans chapter 8. God died for you when you were still a sinner. God died for you when you wanted nothing to do with God. God demonstrated his love. He didn't just say it. He proved it. He demonstrated it. When you were still a sinner, when you were still godly, Jesus demonstrated it. He, he proved it. He died for you. He died for me. God not only said he loves us, God proved it. He demonstrated his love when you were still a sinner. How did he prove it? He sent Jesus to die for you. He sent Jesus to die for me. And all on that cross is a manifestation of God's love for you. And anything Jesus did for us on that cross is God saying, I love you in action. Anything Jesus did on the cross is God proving that he loves you. And we already looked at Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows and esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. And he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, and by chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. 
on the same cross. Jesus bore our sins and God's wrath, and he also bore our sicknesses and diseases. As we read from Matthew already, that might be fulfilled when it was spoken by the Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. We talked about how Matthew and Jesus confronted this as talking about physical healing. We looked at all these scriptures. Okay, and moving forward. Jesus bore our sins and our sicknesses, both of them. Jesus buried our sins and sicknesses with an act of God's love for us. Him, Jesus bearing your sins was an act of God's love. Jesus bearing your sicknesses was an act of God's love. And we looked at uh, uh, Psalm 103 already, where these are our benefits, that he heals all of our, he forgives all of our iniquities, and he heals all of our diseases. And we looked at Peter already, but who bore our sins on his own body, by whose stripes we were healed. That encompasses God's love for us. So how do I know God loves me? How do I know God's will to heal? God loves us. And we're still talking about this. We're not done with this. I feel like this has been a long recap. Pardon me, I needed a recap because we've been moving over the last few weeks. The scriptures teach us that Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion to go to the cross. It's his love for you that kept Jesus on the cross. And Jesus healed people because God loves people. Jesus healed people because God is merciful. His mercies are new every morning. And that's why I just said it, refreshing and new every morning. Lamentation says, his compassions fell not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The apostles may have died, but the compassion of God has never died. Okay? The apostles may have died, but his mercy has never died. The apostles may have died, but his kindness, his goodness has never, never, ever died. We looked at several scriptures last two weeks ago. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. The compassion of God moved him to do something about it. Many of the healings Jesus did were just out of his mercy and his love. Jesus was just overwhelmed with kindness and goodness. And it doesn't ever end. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of God. We looked at Matthew 9, 36, where it says, And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like a shepherd, sheep with no shepherd. In Matthew 15, and Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude. I'm going to go through this quickly as I'm getting, uh, I'm almost done with my recap, which I don't, I don't have a lot of time left, but we're getting this far. In Matthew 20, we have the two blind men who cried out for God, Have mercy on us. The people tried to silence him, the multitude. They should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Lord, have mercy on us. And so Jesus turned around and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, We want to see. And so Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Jesus, was, we can read it over and over, Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with mercy. And it says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain that same mercy and grace in our 
time of need. We can appeal to God on the basis of mercy. There's, we looked at this already. There's two things that move God. Faith and his compassion. Faith and his compassion always move God. God was always moved by his compassion and, and Jesus was always moved by faith. In Mark 1, 41, it says, And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said, I'm willing to be cleansed. I'm talking about the leper. In Mark 5, 19, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home. He's talking about the one who had the legion of demons. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had compassion on you. God wants us to set, set you free from the addictive lifestyles, not because of the wrath of God, but because of the love of God. God wants to set you free from a different lifestyle, not be, because of the love of God. He want, God doesn't just want to save your spirit, but God also wants to heal your body. And even so, God also wants to heal your soul, your broken hearts. Okay, we're moving forward here. You know, we're talking about broken hearts. Some of, and I'm going to get into some more time on this in later weeks. Part of our healing is also psychological. It's in our soul. Our, wound, our soul is wounded. And our soul needs healing just as much as our physical body needs healing. And our, some of us need healing in our emotions. Some people need healing in their bodies. Some people need healing in their families, in their relationships. And some people need healing in their finances. Our faithful high priest is still touched by the feelings of our infirmities, our weaknesses. And our faithful high priest is still compassion today. The same Jesus who walked the shores of Galilee had compassion on the multitude is the same Jesus who was raised from the dead. He is, he is here by his spirit. And the same Jesus is here has compassion on you and on me today. Okay, so here's kind of where I left off last week. Sorry it took so long to go over that again. But I feel like I needed that recap after being so distracted with a move. But we'll see how far we get with the remainder of what we have here. I'm going to be comparing Matthew's version of the story with Mark's version of the story. This is the man, the paralytic, that he got healed. And we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And so he got into the boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. And they beheld it, brought him a paralytic, also unparalyzed, lying on the bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the parent, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. So he got, he's coming for healing. But Jesus says, Hi, Your sins are forgiven you. That's not why he came. But and we can go all that story. We'll, we'll touch on some of that in just a moment. But I want you to see that Jesus saw the faith. The guys who were holding him, we're going to see that more clearly in Mark's version of the story in just a moment. But I just want to point out faith can be seen. You can see someone who has. Faith cannot be heard. Okay? You can't see a belief system. And many have belief systems that are not rooted in the Word of God. Many have belief systems that are not rooted in the character of God, in the nature of God. For many, their very belief systems are hindering down for being healed. Their belief system is contrary to the nature 
and word of God. You can't see a belief system, but thank you. Can we see? Now that sounds to some people like an oxymoron, but they're two different things. Jesus saw their faith. The religious people, the, the religious had a belief system. And it hindered. And there were some cities and some communities where they had a belief system that prevented Jesus from doing any miracles there. He goes on to say, and I watched some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, how you know that Jesus knows your thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Jesus called what their thoughts evil. Okay, he goes on to say, but which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? I said, rise and walk. In Jesus' day, it was easier to say rise and walk than it was your sins are forgiven. In our day, it seems to be easier to say your sins are forgiven than to rise and walk. We have it backwards. But we still have the same problem. But that you may know. <coughs> I just love this. I never get tired of hearing this. But that you may know. That the Son of God had the power of earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. You know, healing should be the proof that our sins are forgiven. Based on what Jesus said. That's another message for another time. Now when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power. Notice, religious people get angry when God's love is manifested. But the common man glorifies God. Something wrong with that. The religious person gets angry when God's love is manifested, but the common man glorifies God. The common man knows they just saw a miracle. Okay? Religious people get angry when God performs a miracle. But the common man glorifies God. Love is manifest. Religion loves its doctrine more than it loves people. That's why I hate and I loathe religion. Okay? I don't care what my theology says. If someone is blessed, I'm going to reconsider my theology. Okay? If someone gives blessed, I'm going to rejoice with those who are getting blessed. Because I love people more than I love the rules. I love people more than I love my doctrine. And I love people more than I love our history. Now let's look at Mark's version of this. Again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was hard that heard that he was in the house, and in the house, Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to reach them, not even near the door, and he, he preached the word to them. And then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they covered the roof where he was. And so when they had broken through, they left down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit 
that they reason thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? <coughs> Excuse me. Which is easier to say to the, the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Verse 12. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Folks, may I present to you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When God sees your faith, like he saw the faith of those four men, miracles, signs, and wonders will take place. When God sees your faith, signs and wonders will take place. Did that not happen with the Syrian? Did that not happen with the Syrophoenician woman? Did not happen with others? The last apostle may have died, be dead, but God is not dead. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, Emmanuel, is still with us. He's still among us. Jesus, Emmanuel, is still healing today. Jesus is still healing bodies, broken hearts, marriages, relationships, finances, and the list can go on and on. We talked a lot about the compassion of God, and we've been talking a lot about the faith when God sees our faith. And it says in Galatians 5, 6, For Christ is neither circumcision, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor bells anything. But faith working through love. We often believe we need more faith. Because I just said, when Jesus, God sees your faith, miracles will happen. So we think we need to have more faith. And if you read Romans chapter 12, verse 3, you'll see that we all have the same measure of faith. For example, a baby has the same muscles I have. But a baby can't, hasn't learned to sit, hasn't learned to walk, hasn't learned to crawl, hasn't learned to do many things with their muscles. They haven't even learned to talk yet, and they have many things with their tongue, which is their, their strongest muscle. We have to learn to use our muscles. When we're born, we have to grow up, and we have to learn how to use our motor skills and, and different things and get them to work. When we are born again, we have all the same measure of faith. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. We have to learn how to use that faith. Okay? But how does faith work? Faith works by going back to this life through love. We don't need more faith. Because we love us think we need more faith. Again, two things that move God. Faith and his compassion. Faith works by Love. If you have a faith problem, you have a love problem. It's not you loving God, it's Him loving you. You don't have a problem with God loving you, you need to know God's love. <coughs> you need to know the love of God. Because when you know God's love, your faith will work. 
You can't have faith in someone you don't know they love you. You can't have confidence in someone you know that don't know they love you. When you know someone loves you, you build trust and faith and confidence in that person. Okay? When you see God's love for you, faith is a byproduct. The key to more faith, the key to seeing miracles, the key to seeing healing take place is that you know God's love. I'm not so concerned about how much you love him and how much you love one another. I'm not saying that's not important. I'm saying that you can't even love God. You can't even love yourself. You can't even love one another until you first receive his love. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. This is love, not that you love him, but that he loved you and became the propitiation for your sins. 1 John 4, 10. When you know his love, you will love him, you will love others, and you will walk in faith. The key is you knowing and knowing and knowing again. And if you think you know it, know it some more. Know that you know that you know God loves you. And when you see God's love for you, faith is a byproduct. When you know God loves you, faith works easier. Faith works. When you know God loves you, you trust God. You know God's love, trust you. When you know God's love, you will know God, you will trust him to cut a roof, cut a hole in the roof, like these four men. When you know God's love, you will know You will have faith to lower your friend now to see Jesus. Do you not think it took faith for these four men to lower the, the guy who was helpless, paralyzed, down? I mean, they had, I mean, one of them couldn't be off. I mean, if one of them was lowering land a little too fast, I mean, they, they would tip the scales and the guy would fall off. They had to, lo they had to be precise in how they lowered him down so that he was black the whole way down. Okay? When you know God's love, you can, you can have faith. Like the woman with the issue of blood to touch the hem of his garment. <coughs> when you know God's love for you, you can have trust him to lift out your net and cast it on the other side of the boat like Peter. When you know God's love for you, like the, 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 the widow in the book of Kings, to fill up your jars with oil. See, there's always risk involved with faith. Always. There will always be risk involved with faith. Most people want to have faith. Most people want to grow in faith. But we, they don't understand the risk factor that comes with faith. Anytime you are believing God for anything, you are going to take a risk. Okay? It, it took a risk to cut a hole in someone's roof. It took, a, it took a risk to lower your friend down to meet Jesus. First of all, you didn't know how the guy that owned the house was going to respond. Second of all, you didn't know how Jesus would respond. And third, you want to make sure the guy made it. It took risk for the woman who with the issue of blood to touch the hem of his garment. 
She should have been outside the camp, according to the law. She could have been stoned for doing that. It took risks for Peter to cast his net on the other side after he'd been fishing all night and caught nothing. And he just, he just cleaned the nets. Okay. It took risks for the widow to knock on all of her neighbors' doors. Can I borrow a jug? Can I borrow a jug? You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like going door to door for something like that. Okay? If we can just get into the presence of God, like the, the woman with the issue of blood, like these four friends, if we can just get our buddy to God's the presence of Jesus, he'll get healed. Okay. When you know God's love for you, you just trust Him. When you know God's love for you, when you know God's not angry with you, you trust Him. When you know that God's not wroth with you, that He's not against you, you trust Him. When you know that God's not holding anything from you, you trust Him. If you think someone you have an issue with someone, or someone has an issue with you, and they come in the room and you meet past, sometimes we're a little edgy. Is everything okay? Are we good? Is everything all right? You can't trust someone until you make amends, until you know that everything's cool. Okay? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a, a child, or an employer, or employee, or mom and dad. If you think they're at odds against you, you're not going to trust them to ask them for something more. But if you know, we're good. We're okay. It will give you faith, trust, ability to take a risk to ask for something that you want or need. Am I making sense? And out of that trust, you begin to receive the miracle working power of God in every of your life. But you can't have trust. You can't have faith if you are not convinced God loves you. If you think he's still mad at you, wroth with you, angry with you, you are not going to trust him for healing for anything, for, for finances. Knowing God's love for you is a powerful, powerful thing. Believing God's love for you is powerful. Faith begins to work when we know his love. Because faith is confidence. If you don't know, if you're not confident someone loves you, you're not going to have any faith in that person. Again, going from 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we have a position that we desire him. But if we don't, we don't think we're still at odds with God, we don't have any confidence. This whole, this whole scripture unravels. Okay? When you know God's love for you, faith is confident. Okay? Let's move forward. You, we need to know and believe God's love for us. I'm running out of time, so let's get through this as fast as we can. When you are struggling in life, God will reveal his unconditional love for you. God's love for you is unconditional, it's unending, it's unmerited, it's unmeasurable, it's limitless, and the list can go on and on and on. It's unfathomable. But sometimes, even as his love is being unveiled to us, it's hard for us to believe it. Because we will be, we will criticize ourselves more than God will. 
But pastor, I know God loves me, but I've done this. I've done that. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm thinking. You know God loves you. Know, you know he loves you. But you don't believe it. You know it intellectually. And most people will not question that God loves them intellectually. They know it from scripture. They know it from teaching. They even know it from religious teaching. Even the world knows that. But most of us don't believe it. Okay? How can God love me because of what I've done? How can God love me because of my past? How can God love me with all the junk I've done? All my bad thoughts and how I've treated this person or my spouse or my child or whatever this way. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. All this stuff was going on before you got saved. All this stuff was going on, <coughs> excuse me, it may be worse before why Jesus died on the cross for you and demonstrated his love for you. What we just read from Romans chapter 5, verse 7. Okay? Even when we know he loves us, it's still hard for us to believe it. Because we're thinking naturally. Be naturally minded as death, be spiritually minded as life and peace. But faith works by love. And when you know and believe God's love for you, faith just soars. It just works. The key to your miracle. The key to whatever you're crying out to God for is for you to know and believe his love for you. Because that's how faith works. We know and believe God loves us. And God knows everything about you and still loves you. There's no one. God knows more about you than you know about you. God has seen your worst. God has seen your thoughts. And he still loves you. Am I saying he approves everything you've done? No. He loves you. And until you know that he loves you and receive his love, you're not going to change. You cannot change you. He will change you. Temperance is not the fruit of the flesh. Temperance is the fruit of the spirit. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't know God's love. You can't walk holy. You can't walk righteous without God. God will change you. God will change you from the inside out. You cannot change you. You cannot put... I'm not talking about having faith in you. I'm talking about having faith in Jesus. Because if you have faith in changing you, you will fail. And just that, the fact that you have faith in you, you're failed already because that's sin. Anything that's not a faith is sin. Well, how do I get faith? Know that he loves you. Which is often, okay, God knows everything about you and still loves you, which is hard for us to believe. Because we know what we've done. We know what we thought. And we wouldn't love us. But in 1 John chapter 4, it says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. He repeats that from verse 8. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. 
We have known and believed his love. Sorry, I'm looking at my notes here. See, God is love. God isn't just love. God is love. Agape. Agape is a noun. There's many different forms of the word love, but all of them are verbs. This one is a noun. God is love. God doesn't have love for you and me. God is love to you and me. There's a difference between being something versus having something. God doesn't just have love for you. God is love. If you have something, you can lose it. If you have something, you can have a measure of something, little or lot. But God is love. He can't lose it. And he doesn't just have a measure of it. But if you are love, you are love. And God is love. God doesn't have love for me. God is love to me. And there's nothing I can do to get God to love me more. And there's nothing I can do to get God to quit loving me. Because I would say in 1 John, love has been perfected among us and this that we may have fullness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we in this world. <coughs> I don't have time to teach all this. I've taught a lot of this in the past. But verse 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I can't love God on my own. Because love is of God. Let me say that again. I can't love God on my own. Why? Because love is of God. If you don't have God, you don't have love to begin with. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Because he said this in verses 7 and 8, same chapter, 11, <coughs> excuse me, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God and he who does not love does not know God for God is love. God is a person. Okay? And when whom we, who, God is a person whom we must grow in a relationship with. We must grow into a relation. God is love. He's a person. And we must have a relationship with love. Okay? Knowing about someone is different than knowing them. Many of you might know my wife, Sherry, but I'm the only one in the room that knows her. The way that some of you might know her more than others. Her parents know her more than you. But there's a part of her that I know more than anyone else does, including her parents and her siblings. Okay? Many Christians don't know God personally. Many Christians don't walk with God. They don't talk to God. They don't have a relationship with Him. How do you have a relationship with someone you don't talk with, you don't walk with, you don't connect? We can... Only love God in proportion to know how much he, we receive his love for us. You can't love God more than he, you have received his love for you. You can't. It won't happen. It won't work. Because love is of God. Love is not of this world. 
Love is not of my flesh. Love is not of me. Love is of God. And I can only love God in proportion to how much I receive His love for me. Most people want to love their spouse. They want to love their kids. They want to love the body of Christ. They want to love others. Some want to love their enemies. Okay? And most people want to love God. But most of us want to love God. And most of us want to receive His love. Then why aren't we doing it? Because love is of God. And the most important thing as Christians is knowing how much God loves you and how much God loves me. The most important thing you can do of all things I teach is that you know that God loves you. Because out of that will flow your love to Him and your love to others. And you will walk in faith and you will see God's love and God's power work in your life. The most important thing as a Christian is believing that God loves you. And once you receive this, His love, you can love Him back. Once you receive His love, you can love each other. Going back to 1 John, verses 14, verses 18 19. There is no fear of love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. Fear is the opposite of faith. How does faith work? By love. Fear chokes out faith. Some of us have a hard time believing, because fear is so loud and so big. So how? How, how, some of us don't have a faith problem, we have a fear problem. So how do we cast out fear? Love. Love casts out fear, and love makes faith work. And if we don't know his love, fear is strong, and faith is weak. So how do we fix it? Love, there's no fear love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. For example, if you're diagnosed with cancer, your greatest challenge is not the cancer. Are you hearing me? If you got a report today from the doctor that you were diagnosed with cancer or that you tested positive for COVID, your greatest fear, your greatest challenge is not the cancer or COVID. Your greatest challenge is the fear of that report. Because fear involves torment. The greatest thing that will grip your heart is fear, not the cancer, and not the COVID. Fear has torment. And fear is a paralytic. Most sicknesses that we struggle with are the result of fear, worry, anxiety, and stress. And God did not create our bodies to carry worry. Your body cannot stay healthy with fear. If you get diagnosed with cancer or COVID or any disease of any kind, your body cannot stay healthy if it has fear. It just can't. It will get worse. Why? Fear. Worry. Fear will cause your body to break down. And God wants you to 
Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. That's my next slide. Many people have walked in fear for so long, they don't know how to break free from fear. Some people, that's all they've known. All their lives. <coughs> for years, for decades. Until some, even a century. Fear and faith don't work together. They can't. They're polar opposites. The love of God will set you free from fear. And the love of God will cause your faith, faith we have to get that fear out in order to pray right. You can't even pray right with fear in your heart. You have to get that fear out in order to yield to God. The love of God will set you free from fear. So let's believe God. Faith can be seen. Fear can be seen too. And when God sees your faith, Miracles, signs, and wonders will take place. When God sees, looks at us, and does, does he see faith? Or does he see fear? Okay? His love for you will cast out all fear. We're still talking about the benefits of salvation. i got much more to cover. Next week we're going to be talking about hindrances to our faith. Hindrances. We're going to be talking about some of the hindrances why we do not receive healing. They're not, it's not going to be an exhaustive list by any means, but we're going to look at some of the reasons why we are not seeing healing, why we are not seeing it manifest in our lives and our bodies. Uh, we're going to look at those beginning next week. So thank you for being with us this morning. We're talking about the benefits of salvation. We're going to continue to talk about this great salvation that we have in regards to healing. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Amen and amen. God bless.